bottomless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then he said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. And then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plant yielding seeds, and fruit trees of the earth bearing fruit after their kind, with seeds in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And then God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let that be a sign for signs for the seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that was good, and there was evening and there was morning and a fourth day. And then God said, let the waters teem uh, with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning a fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, um, to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then verse 1, And thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host. Now as we begin the book of Genesis, there's, there's two things that every one of you knows. <clears throat> and you might not have thought you knew anything about Genesis coming in here this morning. But you know, one, it's the first book of the Bible. And two, you'll know every week where to find it. It's not like Ezra... Or, you know, one of those other books that you kind of have to, uh, you, we, you know, we always act like we know where every book of the Bible is, don't we? But really, sometimes we go, okay, I've got to go to the index on this one. But you'll know where we're at. And so, 
Genesis, though, is a pretty amazing book, and I want to show you some things about it as before we get right into the text here. It's more than really the first book of the Bible. Um, one of the things that you need to see is without it, our Bibles would be incomplete and very possibly uh, incomprehensible because it sets the stage for man's need of redemption found in the rest of the Bible. Take away Genesis, you do not have Adam and Eve. You do not have sin entering into the world. You do not, do not have the fall and thus you don't see the need for man's redemption. Many and maybe most of the doctrines of the Bible are found in Genesis. There's the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of redemption, justification, Jesus Christ, the personality and personhood of God, the kingdom of God, the fall of Israel. I mean, the fall of Israel and the promise of the Messiah. We see in Genesis creation, like we're going to see today, and we see cultures and we see nations. How this world started, how the planets came into being, the atmosphere, the hydrosphere, the beginning of life, man, marriage, evil, language, government, culture, cities, nations, and religion. So you're seeing it's, wow, quite in this book. In Genesis, Genesis is quoted in the New Testament more than 200 times. Over 200 times our New Testament points back to Genesis. Jesus showed us the importance of the book of Genesis and the importance of Moses when in John 8 or John 5 he quoted from the book of Genesis. And if it means anything to you, Dr. or Martin Luther, who obviously was instrumental in the Reformation, said, I beg and faithfully warn every pious Christian not to stumble at the simplicity of the language or stories that will often meet him in Genesis. He should not doubt that however simple they may seem, these are the very words, works, judgments, and deeds of the high majesty, power, and wisdom of God. And so, what seems like maybe just the first book of the Bible, now you start to see and you begin to see, wow, there's a lot more in this book, isn't there? Moses is the author. You may have known that. Maybe you haven't. You haven't been in the Lord very long. But Moses is the author. And again, that's debated, but it's, I think it's pretty secure to say that. Tradition, oral tradition has passed that down as well as Scripture. Let's say Moses not only wrote the book of Genesis, but what is known as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Moses is the one who wrote them. And, and so it's interesting when we think of that. We know that Moses was educated in Egypt. He was, uh, he, the Pharaoh was like the president of the land. And I assure you, if you were uh, George Bush's uh, kid, uh, you'd probably be able to have the best education in this land. And so that's what Pharaoh had. And because of that, I mean, Moses had. And because of that, he was educated. And he had then the skills to put together what you and I are about to study in the book of Genesis. In Acts 7.22, it says, Moses was educated in all the learnings of Egypt. And he was a man of power in words and deeds. And if you think of his communion with God, you think of his relationship with God on Mount Sinai and throughout the, his life in the wilderness and so on. Um, no doubt it helped him in writing the first five books of the Old Testament. And we often think of Moses, we don't think of him as a highly educated man and a learned person. We think of him, I think of him as a leader. I think he's very practical. I kind of can relate to him. But really, I think he leaves me in the dust when it comes to education. I think he was also a very learned man and a very knowledgeable man. And because of that, he was able to do what he did. And when we think of Moses and he put together this book, I like what Henry Morris said. He said, it is probable that the book of Genesis was written originally by actual eyewitnesses of the events reported therein. Probably the original narratives were recorded on tablets of stone or clay 
in common practice of the early times and then handed down from father to son, finally coming into the possession of Moses. Moses perhaps selected the appropriate selections for compilation, inserted his own editorial additions and comments, and provided smooth transition from one document to the next, with the final result being the book of Genesis as we have received it today. And so, again, obviously Moses wasn't alive in what we're going to study today. And yet, like Dr. Morris says there, through these ways, through oral tradition, uh, things being handed down, and by the Spirit of God, Moses then was able to put together what we are about to study. Now, I'm going to give you just a simple outline today, seven things that we find to outline the chapter itself. The first thing we see is that God is the creator of the earth and the heavens. Again, look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And so we see um, in the first five words, in the beginning, God created. And that's what we see. It was God who did it. The Hebrew uh, word for Genesis means in the beginning. And some of your Bibles actually might put that there somewhere. And it's called this because it is the book of beginnings. Uh, In it we see the beginning, like I said, of the universe, of earth, of life, of man, of sin, of violence, of disorder, of nations, languages, marriage, and childhood. The word God appears, this is interesting, in this one chapter in the NSV, 30 times. You can count them in your own translation if you use something different. But really that shows you... Man, if you can read chapter 1 and come away not realizing God, then you're not, you're, having, you're not looking at what the chapter's saying. And we're told what? That he created, he was moving, he was over, he saw, he said, he called, he separated, he made, he placed, and he blessed. Chapter 1 points to God. It points that he exists and that he is the creator. The Hebrew word for God here is the, is the word Elohim. And it means one, one supreme being who is the only true God. And in the account of creation, that is what we see, that he is supreme. Job said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And so man will try, but man can't do it. And Isaiah said in Isaiah 48, Surely my hand founded the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I called to them, they stand together. The L in the word Elohim by itself refers to God in the most general sense. So it can refer to either the true God or to a false god. It's interesting, Elohim then, if you take the L and the rest of the word, is the plural uh, form of L. And so some see it then as a reference to God being the supreme God, but being plural, it also speaks of the Godhead. That in the person, in the Godhead, we find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, but co-equal in power, co-equal in glory that exist in three different persons. And you cannot study chapter 1 without seeing that God exists. That He's all-wise, He's all-knowing, He's all-powerful, and even that He's abounding in love as He creates man. Um, That the world we live in was created by Him, and you and I who live in this world, we're created then to have fellowship with Him. And as we live in this non-believing world, it's good to know that He is, isn't it? Also, uh, we see in verses 1 and 2, tells us that God created the universe, the earth, and the heavens, And we know that Paul spoke of this. It's interesting. Paul spoke that he was taken to the third heaven. You remember? And the third heaven, of course, would be where God dwells. 
But the first heaven is this air that we breathe right now and the, the atmosphere that we are in. The second heaven is usually referred to as where our, the solar system is, the sun and the moon. And then, of course, the third heaven is what God, God is. And so here we see that God creates when it says the heavens. He's not creating that place where he abides. That's already there. But he then is going to create where you and I abide and where the solar system and stuff abides as well in Genesis 1. And notice he created it from nothing. The earth, it says, had not been formed. There was no light. In other words, he used no pre-existing material to create the earth. Bara is the Hebrew word here for created. And it means to create out of nothing. And so unlike pantheism, which says that God is in that which is created, see, that God is in this wood of the pulpit, God is in the carpet, God is in plants. That's what pantheon teaches. If the world ceased to exist tomorrow, God would not cease to exist. But in pantheism, where they say God is in everything and God is everything, then he would cease to exist. But that's not what the scriptures teach. And so he created out of non-existent stuff. And only God can do that. Of course, the theory of evolution goes against this, that the earth and life wasn't created from nothing, but instead evolved over billions and billions of years. And what you need to understand is this, is that while evolution is put forth as a true science, it really is full of holes and has constantly changed. If you're interested, I could show you. A, 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 I do not recommend you just go to any website and believe what is said. But I could give you a reference after service of a website you can go to and you could find numerous sources of scientists that are not even believers, but they have problem with the theory of evolution and there's holes in it. So we need to understand that. You know, I have a book at home as I was reading this week about this. And this book was written in 1927. And it talked about how at that time it was believed the world was 2 billion years old. Well, this past week I was at what was known as the Chicago Field Museum in Chicago. And I was standing before the largest skeleton, the most complete skeleton in the world of a T-Rex. And as I stood there, we were talking to the museum curator and he was telling us all about it. It was very fascinating and everything. But then he said it was 4.5 billion years old. And Jesse said, and maybe next week it will be five. <laughs> but the point is this. I thought, isn't that funny? Because the book in my study that was written in 1927 said at that time the belief was the earth was two billion. And now we're saying it's 4.5. Some even say five billion. So in less than 100 years, the earth has aged some two and a half billion years. And again, my point is this. You cannot put this forth as an exact science. And that's what's so sad that is being done today. And it really is because the scientific community as a whole doesn't want to deal with the fact that there is a God. And we need to understand that. And I've heard that even using their own timelines, that if you did the math, there hasn't been enough time to carry out the theories mathematically. It's impossible. So evolution is anything but a perfect science. And scientists and people, they can be arrogant when it, when it comes to what they think is the origins of life. And you and I need to be wise and not accept that. Understand? If you're in my house, even the other day I was watching something and I will often say to Wink, I'll say, okay, watch this, watch this, because I know they're about to make an assumption and speak something as truth. And afterwards, I try not to interrupt the shows too much. Then I say to her, that, that, that's not true. They can't prove that. And you need to do that too. You need to see the holes in these things and point them out. So if you're the wife and you see that, let your husband know. That's garbage there. They're making an assumption it's not true. They can't prove that. 
And we see that it's being done all the time. And so, again, it's not a perfect science. I love a story I found one day students in one of Albert Einstein's classes. And I think we'd all agree Albert Einstein was a pretty brilliant man. They were saying they decided there was no God. That sounds like something college students would do. Einstein asked them how much of all the knowledge in the world they had among themselves collectively as a class. Well, they had to think for a minute. And the students discussed it for a while. And they decided they had 5% of all human knowledge amongst themselves. Einstein thought their estimation was a little generous, but he replied, is it possible that God exists in the 95% that you don't know? See, and that, that was a good answer, isn't it? Christopher Stringer of the Natural Museum of London says, the study of human origins seems to be a field in which each discovery raises the debate to a more sophisticated, sophisticated level of uncertainty. And that's the truth. So we need to understand that. Notice it says in the beginning, and when it says in the beginning God created, it's safe to say then that we could assume there was an intelligent designer. It's a theory that our, is trying to be put forth in our schools today. They won't let us teach creationism. They won't let us talk about God. Well, can the idea be put forth that there's maybe another way that behind creation we see intelligence? And of course, it's not gaining too much crown, and I'm not hopeful that it will. David Guzik says only an intelligent designer could create a just right universe. No chance of our uh, and our universe, just right universe, not chance. And our universe, I like how he puts this, is a just right universe. And again, you guys try to, this isn't, I'm not trying not to be biased as a believer, but seriously, this, this is a just right universe that when somebody that isn't even a believer looks at it, they really would have to conclude Wow. To, to say it happened by chance is, is, seems to be a stretch. Something called the anthropic principle acknowledges that life can exist only within very narrow, narrow margins. And you understand that, don't you? We are breathing air right now. And if anything else was in this room to breathe, we could die. For instance, if you were to go home, and I don't recommend you do this, please don't do this. But if you go home and you start your car up in your garage and then go in your garage a couple hours later and try to read the Sunday paper, I think you're going to have a hard time doing that. Why? Because we are not designed to breathe carbon dioxide like that. Matter of fact, it will kill you, as you know. And so there's a very fine line, as they say, a narrow margin of how things need to be. One of the things, and I know some of you have heard this stuff before, but if the earth was closer or farther away from the sun than it is, life could not exist because we'd either be too hot or too cold. And again, this is, this is incredible to think about it, that it's right where it needs to be. If we think of the chemical composition of the atmosphere, if it varied, they say, only slightly, the air would be poisonous. And again, we'd have a problem. If you look at the atmosphere... If the atmosphere was thinner than what it is, and we're talking about the atmosphere going up into the planets, if it was thinner than what it was, the, the millions of meteorites that burn up before impacting the earth would hit the earth. Why don't they hit the earth? Because of the thickness of the atmosphere. Now, quite frankly, I didn't notice the atmosphere was very thick. I don't have a problem walking through air, but see what I mean? It's, it's amazing that there is a thickness in our atmosphere that works towards this. If the amount of land, sea, the depth of the oceans and the earth's clouds cover were different than they are, the earth's ability then to store heat and release heat as it does would change dramatically and life would change as we know it. And there's other areas. There's gravitational forces in the universe. And again, I read a whole bunch about this, but I didn't want to, you know, 
try to put it to you today. But even in the area of gravity, if it was different than it is, not just on earth, not just that which keeps us to the earth, but the gravity has a relationship all throughout the solar system, things would be different. Uh, the speed of light. I was reading about that, that if the speed of light was different, it would change things. I didn't really know there was a problem with the speed of light. I can't figure out how fast it is anyway, right? But isn't that amazing that they've, they've realized that? And the distance between stars, there would be a difference in the universe as well. And so rather than any of these happening by chance or an accidental process, isn't it much more probable that the earth was specifically designed to sustain life? And the designer is God himself. And so the heavens and the earth being formless, God brought forth that which we know today as heaven and earth. The next thing we see is God is the creator of light. Look at verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on uh, one day. And so on the first day of creation, God brought forth light making a separation of light and darkness, day and night, morning and evening. And notice it says, God said, let there be light. It's amazing that all he had to do was speak it. Some of you know, and some of you are dog lovers, so you'll like this illustration. And some of you aren't dog lovers, so you'll hate this illustration. No, but I have two chihuahuas. And I went from golden retrievers, and my last golden retriever was the most obedient animal I've ever seen in my life. This dog, did, it lived to obey me, unlike, you know, most everybody else, um, <laughs> which is fine, you know. <laughs> but, but my dumb chihuahua, you know, one of them's named Scout. And sometimes I'll say, Scout, come here. And he'll just stand there and look at me. And, you know, if, I don't know if he's actually thinking this, but I think he's thinking, I don't want to come there. I'm not coming there. You could say, come here and command me as much as you want. I'm not moving. And he doesn't. You know, and yet that's not like the Lord. The Lord spoke and he said, let there be light. And wham, light came into existence. The sun and moon, notice this, are created, you guys, on the fourth day. See, and this is a different light than the sun and the moon. This will be what we see in Revelation 22, 5, when it says there'll be no need for the sun or the moon in the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and earth because the glory of the Lord will illuminate the place. And so this is what we see here, that, that the light is coming into existence. And notice God says that the light was good. Now think for a minute, why? Why, was it, why would it be good? Because the Lord brought... Watch this. I want you to see something I thought was very interesting here. The Lord takes from chaos and he brings order and he does so by first bringing forth light. It's interesting that God's first step from chaos to order was bringing forth light and if that was true in creation with practical formation of the earth and what we are learning today, then watch this. The same principle is true in spiritual matters. God said to God seeks to lead us out of darkness, out of chaos, out of confusion into the light, which brings order and clarity. And I think it's so significant. You can apply it in two ways. If, 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 if our lives is a life of chaos, a life of confusion, a life of darkness, God is the only way. And if you are here today and you, you, you acknowledge there's a God, but you really haven't made him your Lord yet. He's not lording over your life. And there's confusion and all that. You need to understand everything you seek other than God is not going to solve that problem. 
And, and haven't you tried that? You and I have tried that. We've tried other things to solve it. It seems like it goes away for a while. And then next thing you know, we're right back in the same place. But it applies in this way too. When we find ourselves in a troubling situation, we find ourselves in troubling circumstances. God's truth, the Bible, is the light that we need to show us the way that is clear and to bring the truth. And this is so significant, you guys. You guys understand. We might have a bunch of these in our houses. But this is not like any other book. This is inspired by the Creator, by God Himself. And, and it's anointed. And when we read it, if our heart is right and our minds are open to receive, it will speak to us. God will illuminate things and, and open our eyes and shed light on situations. And I find that so significant. How often I find myself as a pastor in situations that you could say are confusing or dark or hard to understand. But I know where the answers are found. They're right here. And when I go to the Word and I search the Word for the answer, it becomes crystal clear. And I pray that you will understand that and learn that. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled from those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, and that's quoting Revelation, I mean Genesis, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so incredible that light is created and, and it applies to us. The third thing is God is the creator of earth's delicate watering system. We get this in verse 6 here. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And called, God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now, if you haven't studied your Bible, you probably just go, what did you just say? You know, because it's one of those passages where you kind of go, but it seems that what it's saying is that there was the, there was the water that's on, that, is, that is on the earth, but then there was this mist or cloud covering as well. And here what happens is God puts a separation between them. I think it was, I read one author said that this is where the atmosphere that you and I live in came into being. And so that's what he does here, that he brings that into being. And so the second day he created that separation. Henry Morris says the upper waters would provide a sort of protection canopy from Earth's inhabitants. And the space between would provide an atmosphere reservoir to maintain breath of life. And so then the remaining waters would provide the water base for, as we know it, life on earth. And again, do you understand? No water, no earth. No water, no life, right? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Not only do we get all the food we get out of the oceans because of the water and the fish that live in them, but we know then moisture is taken out of that in the clouds. It comes over the land. It waters the land. More food is generated. Water we drink and on and on. And so it's amazing what happens there. And again, doesn't it show us just how superior and great God is to man? It reminds you of a little boy who, after church one day, his pastor saw him and his pastor asked him, can you tell me uh, one thing um, that God can do? And the pastor said, if you tell me one thing God can do, young man, I'll give you an apple. And the little boy, he was a smart little kid. He said, well, I'll tell you what. If you tell me one thing God can't do, I'll give you a whole box of apples. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, Pascal, a French mathematician, 
He was a physicist and later became a religious philosopher in the 1600s, said the greatest single distinguishing feature of the omnipotence of God is that our imagination gets lost when thinking about it. And that's true. You think about the omnipotent, the power of God, the majesty of God, and you get lost, don't you, when you start thinking about it. In 1715, Louis XV was the king of France. He died. He called himself the great. He once had made the statement, I am the state. And his court was the greatest in Europe, and his funeral reflected that. His body laid in a golden coffin, if you could believe that. And to dramatize the king's greatness, he gave orders before he died, and orders were given then afterwards, that... Um, that the cathedral should be very dimly lit with only one special candle above the coffin. Thousands waited in hushed silence. And then Bishop Massillon and bless this man's heart begin to speak. Slowly reaching down, he snuffed out the candle saying, only God is great. And I say amen to that bishop, man, because here was a king elevating himself. And when we think of creation, we see the greatness of God. The next thing is that God has created the land, the sea, the vegetation, and the trees. And again, I'm not going to go back and read those. We read them. But we see that on the third day, God uh, formed earth's landmass and seas, creating a place for life to thrive, as well as vegetation and trees with seeds, so they, they, they would keep producing. And notice something that's very interesting here, you guys. It says he created the plants and seeds, trees and seeds. Evolution reverses that. Evolution doesn't like that idea because they say, no, the seeds would have to come first and, and everything else that it took to evolve to start getting seeds to that point, see? But notice God says, no, 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 that's not how it happened. I created the trees. I created the vegetation with seeds. Why? So they'll keep reproducing. And of course, that's what we see here. We see in verse 14 through 19 that God is the creator of the sun and the moon. We haven't mentioned it, but if the days here, he, you notice the light came earlier, but now the sun and the moon. If the days here are 24-hour periods or they're longer periods of time, there's a, a real debate there, isn't it? Our finite minds have a hard time grasping the idea that God could create what we see today in six days. And again, if you ask me, well, Pastor Scott, do you understand that? I'd say, heck no, I don't understand it at all. You know, but I believe it. There's a lot about God. There's a lot about, I still don't understand how a phonograph record works. You know, and now you want me to understand how CDs work or how we can transmit things wireless. You know, I, I just am amazed that I can take on my laptop that's wireless and I can command a printer in the office to print and it prints. It's like, where is that? You know, so somewhere there's this, you know, text going, you know. And so anyway, uh, just just insights into my uh, my funny little quirks in life. But but anyway, so we, we understand that, you know, what, what was it? And was it 24 or was it long periods of time? It's interesting that with plants, you have the seeds, not seeds and plants, and you have instant animal life. And you notice, you realize it hit me in a fresh way that Adam and Eve were, how were they created as adults, see? And so again, it seems that what we see is that I think they were 24-hour periods and God actually created an aged earth. See, if he can create aged plants and aged human beings, why couldn't he create an aged earth as well? And of course, evolutions don't like the 24 hour period. But here, this is interesting with the sun and the moon coming after plant life, if it, which tends to support a 24 hour day, because if there was a long period of time, and if you read this, some feel it was thousands of years 
well, plant life would die out. But if plant life was created one day and the next day sun came, those plants then would be energized and they'd be on their way. So it's just an interesting thought and there's quite a bit of uh, thinking about that. But here with the sun and the moon coming forth um, after the plant life, again, it tends to support that. And then we see God as the creator of the sea life and the birds of the air, verses 20 to 23. Again, I'm not going to read that, but we see all the creatures, everything that's in the sea, God created in that one day. And he created all the birds of the air. Then it goes on and we see animal life comes in in verses 24 through 25. So the cows and all those things that came into being. And I think it's funny, you know, you just you, you just think of all that we enjoy. Coming home from Chicago, I was sitting next to a lady from Chicago. And I was telling her how much we had, we had a good time. And we were talking about food. And we ate some wonderful uh, two things. We ate some incredible pizza in Chicago. And I've never... Um, we ate this deep dish. I shouldn't do this right before lunch. I know this is so bad. But I, I tell you, I wish I could. Now, we could go online and we can get these pizzas, by the way. So maybe one day we should just have a church Chicago-style pizza feed, right? Anyway, but we also had hot dogs. And you that you guys, that you Seattleites that think hot dogs are evil, you need to get over it. You go to Chicago and New York, and these folks love hot dogs. And so we had some wonderful hot dogs, but she was talking to me and, she said, well, what's Seattle known for? And she said, is it your fish? I said, yeah, of course. And so she was going to be in Bellevue. I said, well, here's where you go and go here. And if you want fish and chips, hit this place. And so hopefully she has enjoyed some great fish while she was here. But again, that is what it says here that God created that. He created the sea life. He created the birds. He created all the animal life. And then as we get to verse 26, notice God is the creator of human life. In verse 26, and this is so significant. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And according to our likeness, let man rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so watch what happens here. All of a sudden you realize man has a place. Man has a relationship that is different than plants and animals. Man is different, see. God created man, verse 27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life. I've given every green plant for food and it was so. And so when I first read that in Genesis, I'm a little nervous because it seems to me that God is saying we're supposed to be vegetarians. But I'm thankful we have the New Testament in the book of Acts where he told Peter to arise and kill and eat. So you can add a little meat to your diet if you want. okay? But nothing's wrong with being a vegetarian. But notice the world would like us to believe that all life is equal. And we're headed that way, you guys. We're seeing that animals are getting the same attention that humans are getting. And I think it's not going to be long before... Uh, animals will have probably more rights than some human beings have. And, and these verses in Genesis show us clearly that it's not, that mankind is above, above all of their life and has a special relationship to the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand. Are we to be good stewards of God's creation? Absolutely. Are we to pollute the earth and uh, abuse it? No. But at the same point, we are above it. 
you know, it's getting so bad, you know, these like with Compassion International years ago was the one that started that for, you know, $30 a month, you can adopt a child and support that child. For the first time last night on TV, I saw the same thing being offered to support an animal. And see, and again, I'm not against that. I, I love animals. But what I'm saying is the equality that's starting to come in, it really is, it's, it's not what we need to understand that we're, that man was created different and man was created special, if you will. You know, only man has been created in the image of God. Evolutionists would like you to believe that we came through the way of the ape and the way of the animal. Even last night there was a show on TV that I started to watch that was putting forth that theory. But here we see that there's a gap between human life and animal life. You know, the similarities only show that they're the same creator. It drives me crazy that the that it's said that because you know, there's there's similarities. You know, the ape has, you know, ears and this and that. Well, we must have come from, you know, the apes and from chimpanzees and things like that. Well, what about this? Can it just as well show that it's the same creator? It doesn't have to show that this is where we came from, but it shows us it's the same creator behind both. And so, again, that's what we really see. And, and so we're different. We're different in our moral intelligence and spiritual capabilities than animals. We're also different than angelic life. Nowhere are we told an angel is created in the image of God and they do not have the same kind of relationship we do with God. Man alone has the natural countenance of looking upward, a variety of facial expressions, you know, again, to make fun of my dogs. And you have pets too. You know, sometimes you might think, well, my, he's smiling at me. Well, I got bad news for you. Your dog does not smile at you. You know, bulldogs basically have this look, right? You know, they do. Bulldogs are just like... And other dogs, you have these grins. It's like, you know, and it's just how they are. It's just how they've developed and their mouths are. But they're, they're not really facial expressions, okay? When my dog... When I'm eating, my dog always looks at me with the same expression. And it, basically, he's mooching is what he's doing. He has no expression. It's the only expression he knows. He's just standing there, you know? Shame in our life shows itself in a blush. I've never seen an animal turn red. We are able to speak. We are not, animals are not able to speak. If you're listening to animals and they're speaking to you, you want to get to the doctor. <laughs> we have dominion over the earth, the Bible says. Animals do not have that. We have personality seen in knowledge, feelings, and a will. Animals and plants don't have that, although some would like to tell you that you should talk to your plants and they have feelings and all this, you know. So you do it if you want, but I think you're wasting your time. Um, there's morality, able to make moral judgments of right and wrong. We have a conscience, you see. And there's spirituality. We are made to commune with God, and animals are not made to commune with God. And again, notice that man didn't come over a long period of evolution into becoming man. A man was fully formed when he was created. In one day, the alternative that we came into existence over millions of years of progressive evolution doesn't wash with how complex we are. Now listen to this. This is important. These bodies are very complex bodies. Earlier in the service, I had Marcy, who's a doctor. I had Doug Whitty, who is an emergency room nurse uh, or a surgeon nurse at uh, UW in first service. Every week he is involved with surgeries. He sees the human body wide open every single week. You talk to them, they'll tell you how complex the human body is. But if you think of that, and to say that it evolved, 
you really, it, it really requires a huge step. You think of the eye. I came across this example. It says that they say it would take at least 40 different stages for the eye, this thing in our high socket, to evolve to what we know, what we have today. And my question is then, is what were the benefit of the first 39 steps? And what point, so did, did at some point, did mankind have eyes, but they just weren't quite there till they hit that 49th step or whatever it would take? And you think of our organs, the same thing. How can men function and live with, without organs like our heart, our liver, our kidney, and on and on and on, see? And to say, so it's the impression like, okay, so man is formed and, and this and that, and then all of a sudden one day they got to the evolutionary point where they function and poof, man just came, it could function. See, and it just couldn't be that way if, if you think about it. You know, that these organs of ours are crucial. You take our hearts away, there's no life. You take our livers away, and we got major problems. You know, yeah, you could take a kidney away, but you're going to have to live with one kidney, or you're going to have to deal with dialysis. And so we understand that that the whole thing in that area really, you know, it just doesn't make sense to think that this whole human body could evolve. And notice God created male and female. It says there. He created male and female. He made Adam and Eve. Next week, we'll get into the details of the creation of Adam and Eve in chapter 2. Chapter 1 is an overview. If man evolved, then it's no big deal to play down the difference between male and female. And this leads to no big deal to have different sexual preferences. Watch this. This is important. But if male and female are created by God, the difference then is no accident and it's important, it's good, and it's meaningful. And you, need, you, need, you and I need to understand that. See, evolution that says, well, we just evolved, there's no creator, so not a big deal, however you want to believe in that area. But if there is a creator, and he created so many female and so many male, we know there's design there, there's purpose there, there's order there. It is all of a sudden a big deal, isn't it? You know? And today, when men and women roles and places are so clouded, homosexuality is seen as normal. It's sad because we're failing to see that God made male and female different and his reasons were good and his reasons were right. When man tries to become a woman, when woman tries to become a man, when one seeks to change their sexuality, you end up with something that is so far inferior than what God intended. See, And it was no accident, see? God knew what he was doing. And when we understand that, we realize, wow, this is an important area. God also said, and this is interesting, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And while sex today is so far from what God intended, parents, can I just, I'm not going to go into this, but it's a good time to remind you, oh, guard your children today. Guard your children from the internet. Guard your children, period. There's, this world is so perverted and, and it, everything is just getting so far from what God intended and you have to be careful. But when we look at that today, you understand that the difference in man versus animal, it, it really shows us there's a creator and makes you want to praise him. I, wanna, I, I know you're going to think that I'm giving you a lesson on sex this morning here right now, but I just want you to watch something because I want to show you something in this era of sexuality that is so amazing. It'll show you how different we are from animals but it will also show you, wow, what, what a creator I have. Again, I'm going to quote David Guzik. David Guzik is just a wonderful brother in the Lord. I know him. He's a Bible. He heads up the Bible College in Germany. 
He's just a learned guy. But listen to what he says here. He says, additionally, you got it up there? He says, additionally, God gave mankind a desire for sex, which would make the populating of the earth quick and likely. However, many have thought that being fruitful and multiplying was God's only and main purpose for sex. But this isn't the case. The primary reason God created sex was to contribute to the bonding of one flesh relationship. Animals have sexual relationships only for reproduction. But human sexual response is different for animal sexual response from animal sexual response in many ways. Human ovulation has no outward sign. Humans have sex in private. Humans have secondary sexual characteristics. Only in humans do females develop breasts before the first birth. Only humans demonstrate a constant availability for an interest in sex as opposed to a heat season in animals. In humans, the duration of a sexual interlude is longer and the intensity of pleasure for sex is stronger and only humans continue to have intercourse after the end of fertility. None of these uh, specifically human dimensions of sex are required for reproduction, but all of them are useful for sex as a tool for bonding. And so I know you're going, wow, I didn't know that we were going to talk about this this morning. But, but isn't it fascinating? Seriously, that's why I included it. Trust me, I looked at it a couple times thinking, should I? Yeah, let's, you know, what the heck, you know. So make you uncomfortable. But, but seriously, do you understand? You see the difference? And the difference shows us this is no accident. This is not a chance thing. This is the hand of a creator that made life, made animal life, made plant life, and he made them in one way, but he made human life in a different way. Far superior that we'd be over and that we then could enter into a relationship with him. So it says, verse 31, God saw that all he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day, and thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. And so, in closing, just let me give you four ways that we could apply this. First of all, I think the first application of chapter one is this. Acknowledge that there's a God and he's the creator of all we see, all we touch, and all we smell. I think most of you have done that. That's why you're here. But if you haven't, that's the first thing. You need to acknowledge that there's a God. Second of all, as believers, you need to come to see that evolution is a lie against our Lord and our creator. It isn't creation. It isn't parcel creation. And this is out there as well. And then God created it to a point and then it evolved from that point. That's not what the te- scriptures teach. That It doesn't make sense. And as believers, if we are mixed up in that whole thing, we need to get resolved once and for all that there is a creator that created. And the theory of evolution does not go with understanding that there is a God and a loving Lord and Savior. Having acknowledged there's a God and a creator, then the next thing is a way to apply is we are to worship him. Again, if you are here this morning and you see there's a God, you understand there's a creator, the question is, are you worshiping him? And that's our response, you see. And if we haven't accepted the Lord yet, we need to do that. We need to come and to see that he's, he's all wise, he's all knowing, he's all powerful, he's overflowing in love as you're going to see poured out in this book as we make our way through it. You know, that the world we live in is created by Him and you and I that live in this world, we are created to have fellowship with Him. You know, I've been more through more than I ever thought I'd have to go through in the ministry. I can only imagine what still lies ahead till the Lord takes me home. But I'll tell you, there's nothing 
There's nothing that brings more peace to my life, more satisfaction to my soul, and however you want to describe it, than relationship with God. Relationship with my Lord, see. I would like you. I've tried other things. I've done this. I've thought, well, this will help. This will satisfy. It always comes back to that. It always comes back to the Lord. He alone is that way. And and we need to think about that. You need to understand that it's so important that we are to worship Him. And then the fourth thing is really quickly, resolve freshly again this morning to live for Him completely. Unless you are sitting here and fooling me and you're sitting here and you're just numb and dead, (laughs) you know, this has to impact you. You sit there and you just kind of are in awe when you think of this chapter of creation. And I think the response is, okay, God, I'm going to live for you, man. I'm going to keep living for you. You are awesome. And you've shown me again this morning glimpses of how awesome you are. You can't read this chapter without coming away and realizing that God exists over 30 times. His name is mentioned in this book. Psalm 34, 8 tells us this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's your homework assignment, okay? You're to leave today and you're to come back next Sunday and you're going to, if I ask you, how did you taste and see the Lord is good this week? You're to be able to give me an answer, okay? So go out this week and taste and see that our Lord and our Creator is good. Amen? Be resolved in that. Let's stand.